Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Lynn Bramer, WXRT morning DJ since 1991. His motto, flesh fade and mortal trash fall to the residuary worm. You and I might as well rock and roll. Owner of Lynn's Bin. You have... 937 messages. There is a message for you. All of which are marked urgent. And most importantly, a die-hard Cub fan. The baseball season, a dance we do with memory. We've waited long enough. The winter is over when the umpires urge grown men to play. It's Lynn Bramer with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. Uh, thank you, Eli Herskovich. Which, uh, with Chicago's own Screeching Weasel doing guest list on the way in, because my guest co-host every week reveals itself to be somebody different. It is Lynn Bramer this morning from 93XRT. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Matt Spiegel, your former Red Sox fan. Yeah, how you doing this morning? <laughs> uh, I'm good, I'm good. It's, uh, yeah, it's, former is, is really is really true. I don't feel it. I don't feel it like I used to as a, as a fan that gets kind of whittled away once you know how the sausage is made, but well, not for you. Yeah, you know, just like a spoiled Cub fan, you, you taste victory, you taste glory, and they hit a rough patch, and they, and they bottom out, and it's like, I'm done with you guys. My dad has re-embraced the longtime loser Red Sox thing, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Just because he did it for so long that it felt comfortable, he kind of enjoyed it, and then they won a whole bunch of times. But then, like, two years ago when they got knocked out by the Indians, it's like, same old Red Sox. <laughs> I'm like, no. No, Dad, that's not, that's not how it works. You can't grab that mantle anymore. Well, I have the perfect Easter Sunday baseball fantasy going. Tell me. Here I am with one of my favorite guys, musician, baseball fan, Matt Spiegel. And after this, I go straight to Wrigley Field, join my son and my wife and the rain man of Chicago Cubs lore, Marty Leonard's my colleague at WXRT. Oh, the best. And we will nerd out for nine innings. Uh, My wife will keep score. Well, my wife and I both keep score. I'm a little more haphazard. She makes a note of anybody who stops by to say hi. Uh, Which regular season ticket holders are in front of us? Uh, She'll do shorthand for a a group of uh, six older, older than me anyway, uh, fans that are there every year in front of us. She just calls them the Codgers. The Codgers are here. Uh, And then there are people we can wave to, Jim and Petey and... You know, various people. So she'll keep track of that. And then it's the inverted five for the foul out to the third baseman, the six four three DP. She's into it. She she does all the pitching changes. I'm a little more casual about wow. it. Wow. Well, why why do you bother to do it still? If she's doing it to that level of detail, is it something is just, just I, to keep you in the game? I have all these Chicago Cub pencils. Like thousands of them. I got to use them. Uh, no, I like having a scorecard in my hand. I like being able to look down and before the big screen or somebody else can tell you, I can go, 
The guy's 0 for 3. He hasn't hit it out of the infield. You can't second-guess managers with the same kind of elan uh, unless you got the scorecard in front of you. So you arm yourself with the knowledge so you I can argue arm, better. I arm myself with the knowledge of the scorecard. And, and move on from there. Uh, this, this hour on the score is brought to you by Continental Toyota. Experience the Continental Toyota difference with over 400 new and used vehicles in stock. Located on the Grange Road and I-55 in Hodgkins. ContinentalToyota.com. All right. So, like, people call me a baseball romantic. And then there's you. And it's, uh, I don't, I, where did that come from? By the way, that line right there um, that we heard in the open. The, uh, the. The winter is over when the umpires urge grown men to play. Yeah, you know, in the context with which I heard it, which was you voicing something you'd written, right, right. for opening day for WGN this year. Well, actually, I'd written it in 1992. Oh, wow. And uh, it was actually written at a very dark period in my life. And I really needed the start of the baseball season. And I actually wrote it while I was on the air in just a fit of expression and uh, every year or so, I'll bring it out on opening day and read it on the air. And uh, uh, the producer, Bob Vorwald at WGN-TV, mm-hmm. um, loves Lynn's Ben, loves the stuff I've written about baseball. He said, how about this season um, you give us six, seven, eight Lynn Bramer uh, writings that we can, we can put visual images to? So he took that to start with. Wow. He's got one I've done about the 1984 Cubs He's got my uh, tribute to Ernie Banks, which makes me cry just listening to it. Uh, so you'll hear some more and see some more of that uh, during the course of the season on WGN TV. Very cool. Look at the crossover. That, there's my plan B. You know, <laughs> this this whole In case rock, the whole radio thing doesn't the, work the out. The rock and roll DJ thing. Eh, that's what do you get? Two, three years, four years at the most. I knew a guy uh, when I first started working. He'd worked at 16 radio stations in 11 years because oh, that's the way radio DJs have rolled over the years. Seriously, do you have any idea? I think you do. It sounds like you do. Have any idea just how lucky you are uh, to yes. have been here? How long is it now for XRT? Well, I, I worked behind the scenes as the music director from yeah. 84 to 90, and I actually came here on the promise of seeing the Cubs in the World Series in 1984. My uh, former boss, Norm Weiner, uh-huh. I had gotten a competing job offer to do mornings at WLIR on Long Island, which turned into WDRE. There's a documentary about it right now. It's one of the first alternative rock stations in the country. And um, to, to sweeten the pot, because it certainly wasn't the money at the time, uh, Norm said, tell you what, if you take this job as the music director of WXRT, I will take you to see the Cubs in the World Series. <laughs> and as everybody knows, in 1984, the it, Cubs were unstoppable. They were a juggernaut. It paid off beautifully. Remember when Durham made that routine play yeah, in the playoffs? You know, he just scooped it up, uh-huh. ran over to first base, yeah. and you know they shut down Garvey, and the Cubs went on to beat the Detroit Tigers in the World Series. That's how I remember uh, it. Sure. That's exactly how it went down. Uh, Dan so Petrie and Milt Wilcox were no match so, uh, for Sutcliffe. Uh, I've been at XRT since 84. 84 to 90, I was helping uh, change the course of musical history on a daily basis, not to overemphasize anything. And then in 91, I was uh, bribed to take over the morning show. Okay, 91. 91. So it's been a solid so, 28 years Solid 28 years. Up. And interestingly, I started the morning show just as the score was coming on the air. How about it? Sharing so, those 1991 hallways, yeah. right? With, uh, with, with Tom with so Sharon, many. Mm-hmm. Tom Sharon and, and Rick Geezer and, and a whole, I mean, the time I was there, a whole 
a bunch of different morning. The the Bull and the Bear, Doug Buffon. Sure. And, uh, Norm, Norm Van Leer used to burst in the studio unannounced. What's up, Lynn? Exactly. Some he, would, he would just kick open the door and he'd say, I'm tired of sports. I want to play some rock and roll. Nobody loved rock and roll more than Norm Play me some stones. He'd come in and talk to me for a few minutes, then run back to the AM side and go back on the score. So did you get hot dogs from uh, from Mike North's place before he was on the score? Were you one of those guys going down the street to get hot dogs? Uh, Let me tell you something. Yeah. Because for those who don't know, Mike North, a legendary midday guy who began with the score, um, was a guy with a hot dog stand. Well, the, the, and re- the, the, the guys from XRT who were planning to open, the start with the score, Diamond Broadcasting, had gone repeatedly to get hot dogs from Mike North. And he just kept saying, oh, you got to let me talk sports. you got to let me talk sports. Hey. Ended up buying time on his little radio station and trying and then was given the midday show on the score and and the rest is uh, Chicago history. radio history. Chicago radio history. Yeah. Did I go there for hot dogs? Yeah. Was the My question. cholesterol was three twenty. <laughs> I went there for hot dogs. Mike North would make me. He goes, uh, "You want the ruin me special?" I go, "What's the ruin me special?" He goes, "It's an omelet with everything in the kitchen: Polish sausage, Italian sausage, bacon, cheese, uh, peppers, jardinera." Uh, yes, we went in there all the time, and it's exactly as as you said it happened. We, we were going in there all the time. And he would say, you got to get rid of Bob Verde. I can take over for Bob Verde. I can do athletes' feats. I should be on the radio. And and we'd say, Mike, you need some kind of – you can't just jump in. People – you need to have some kind of experience. So Tom Couch, who was the production director, said, you know, yeah. we have an AM station. It's – you buy your own time and you sell your own advertising and you have an hour – and do your own show. I'll produce it for you, and that's how we got to start. Wow, I the didn't realize handicap show. I didn't really. It was handicapping, which is you know, which is what she's back doing. to doing. Yeah. So, circle of life. That means that means his hot dog place is just around the corner. I sure it's hope so because because his mother in law made the best Italian beef in the city of Chicago. Grace. BB's mother. BB's mother in wow. the back making Italian beef. Unbelievable. Um, we could just sit here and talk radio stories all day, but that's Italian not why we're here. It's not why we're here, Lynn Bramer, for God's sakes. Uh, where did your baseball romanticism come from? Why do you have it? Were you born with it? Was it passed down? I can trace my lineage exactly to that moment in 1941 where my dad sees Ted Williams go four for five. Oh, I love Ted Williams. Against the Philadelphia A's at Scheib Park, and he says, that's my guy. And he becomes this ardent Red Sox fan in, in sort of um, – mutiny of his father who was a Yankees fan right and so he passed that down through the whole family I'm the youngest of five there's everybody's a fan I have no choice but to fall in love with the game how did it happen for you well I I think part of it is generational I was born in the year that uh, Willie Mays caught uh, the ball against Vic Wirtz against the the Cleveland Indians in the 54 World Series Mm -hmm. Uh, and I grew up at a time when you got up in the summertime you were out of school you had frosted flakes and by nine o'clock, you were out of the heart, out of the house, with you know your Schwinn bicycle, with your glove uh, put over the handlebars, mm-hmm. wearing you know in those days, early sixties, you were wearing dungarees that were too new to be actually able to bend at the knee. It was like you were on stilts when you walked. Those are and, good to play in, probably. And we played baseball or stickball or fast pitch or softball from nine in the morning. Until it got too dark and we started hitting each other in the head with balls. So I played baseball every day Hmm. of the summer, all day. Basketball, well, I grew up in New York, so you had to play some basketball. It was the law. But for me, it was baseball all day. And then there was Little League and uh, getting your first Little League uniform. And when I started as a baseball fan, Mm -hmm. 
The only New York baseball team was the New York Yankees. The so Dodgers they were all and gone. The Giants. They were all gone. The Giants and Dodgers had gone. There were no Mets yet. So my earliest memories of baseball, probably 1960 when Mazarowski hit the uh, uh, series-ending home run where Yogi Berra is running back towards the, uh, the sure. fence, the wall mm-hmm. in, in Pittsburgh. And I remember that the team I rooted for went to the World Series in 1960, 1961, 1962, 1963, 1964. So I thought the World Series meant the Yankees played some other team. And I was a big Mickey Mantle fan. Uh-huh. How could uh, you, you know, not be? And when I look back, I actually saw Mickey Mantle mostly in his declining years, you know, when he'd strike out with the bases loaded. Sure, when the knees, the, the knees were gone and oh, he could yeah. barely run. Yeah, but it didn't matter. And I remember vividly picking up the paper every day to see what was happening in 1961 between Maris and Mantle. And it broke my little eight-year-old heart when uh, Mantle went down at the end of the season with an injury and uh, Maris went on to to break the record. Because you wanted Mantle. I wanted Mantle to break the record. I was a Mickey Mantle guy. It's a great movie, 61, that it Billy Crystal made they, on, they, on HBO. But, but you know, what it doesn't capture, I think, is the fan perspective that you're talking about, which I hadn't really thought about. Like, when, when Sosa and McGuire are going for it and, and in, a, in, a, in a more innocent time in 1998, and we, <laughs> we, we, we ignore it. Is that Andrew Steen Dion behind uh, Mark <laughs> McGuire in that locker? Is that what that is? And we just kind of ignored that. Fans had a had a dog in that fight. Yes, like you and and so you had favorites. And so to describe it with Mantle and Maris, I think you know I've always thought about it as their rivalry, but I hadn't really thought about it too much from the fan perspective. You had your guy. You didn't want Maris getting in there and, and breaking mean, the record. Mantle had been there for years and years, and sure. Maris was a, a newer member of the team. Uh, forget the fact that he won two MVPs in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mickey Mantle was the golden boy. He was the All American hero. He was uh, the switch hitter with the giant shoulders, and and uh, you know a lot of kids were with me. And and as '61, the movie demonstrated, it took a toll on on Roger Maris's psyche and, yeah. and his health, and his hair fell out, and uh, he was feeling the pressure not only from the press and Yankees fans, but he was also feeling the pressure of knowing that nobody wanted him to be the guy that broke the record. Mm, more, more so than, than uh, other, other than Mantle. All right, so interesting to hear about your, your love for it comes from the playing more than it does the fandom. You got to the fandom in your answer, but the oh, answer I, was really the playing. Yeah, I'd, when I was a kid, it, I would much rather play than watch a game. I don't, I don't remember saying, hey, we got to go in and, and watch this game. It just wasn't feasible, really, in, in, in well, my youth true, that too. often. It just wasn't. Like, we played more often. We played tennis baseball out there in the middle of the street in the suburbs where somebody would throw the ball and you'd hit it with a racket. Or my, my brother invented a game called Tenny Ball, which was baseball with a tennis ball. Oh, that's fun. And he, he, he leaned a tabletop against the garage, and they they put a big circle for the strike zone, and, and he would pitch from the end of the driveway to the garage, and I was allowed to be the designated outfielder every once in a while in the yard across the street waiting for a ball to be hit out that way. Well, but it's like, but going to this, to a... To a sandlot, as you describe it, or some place to play, just it stopped being feasible at some point in America. Really? Uh, you think so? Yeah. Well, you know what it is. It's, it's just it, there's it, not being enough kids to do it, and like, a, I mean, who who has a pickup baseball game these days? It's so hard to, to to see happening. Well, the other thing is that organized youth baseball really took over and was so time consuming uh, that you know after school kids had practices in you know early April when it was 38 degrees okay. and and uh, so I think 
more kids played organized baseball where we did both. We played in Little League and we played every day. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think there are more distractions today, too. I mean, well, there are. You, 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 you want to play a video game or you want to go outside and, and play fast pitch? Sure. You know? but, but even even just for me, just, a, you know, a, a couple of couple of decades later than you growing up in the 70s and the 80s, we played basketball. That, that, that That's what we did. It was just easier. You could. Oh, two on two is not a problem. So you got four guys. You got six guys. You got eight guys, whatever. And then people had courts in their in their driveway. Well, that's why we played stickball, because you could play two on two. And uh, the funny thing about stickball, you play in a schoolyard where somebody would have spray-painted that strike zone, and the strike zone was for much older kids. So <laughs> the top of your strike zone, it didn't matter. You didn't change the strike zone. The ball, the ball would, would skim the top of your head and a strike two uh-huh. because that was the strike zone. You couldn't change the strike zone. So a lot of free swingers were born out of those games. But w- when I was a kid, m- some of my best friends were from Oak Park. And so every day we would take turns. I would be the Cubs and they would be the Yankees, and then I would be the Yankees, and they would be the Cubs. So mm. in, the, in the early 60s, mid-60s, I knew that Cubs lineup backwards and forwards. So when I moved here in late 84, four blocks from Wrigley Field, it kind of pickled my mind. I had already had this childhood attachment to the Cubs, and knowing that I could walk there, see a game, come back while everybody was snarled in traffic, make margaritas for my friends, sit on the back porch, and go, <laughs> boy, traffic must be terrible. It was living the dream. So that's beautiful. So that's why it, it happened so conveniently and comfortably for you to slide into the Cub fandom that has now overtaken your life. Yeah, and and you know, I um, since I didn't grow up here, I didn't grow up with any animosity towards the Chicago White Sox. It was more a matter of convenience. I was four blocks from the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Growing up, uh, my, my uncle grew up in, uh, uh, brought up his family in Cary, Illinois. Diehard Sox fan. So whenever I got together with him, he was all about the white. Sox. Well, they, it can, it can exist, and I, you know, there are certain weekends to embrace the tribalism. In in my in my opinion, I, I like when they played twice a year, and you could just just channel all of the meatballism that is there <laughs> inherently directly into the matchup. So then you can kind of keep it free from invading your conversation the rest of the year. But there's it, it can exist without without the negativity. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the greatest days in a baseball fan's life is to do the Chicago doubleheader. The Cub game in the afternoon, red line, uh, you know, if you're on the north side, red line down to a guaranteed rate field and uh, catch the Cubs and then the Sox. And you put in a... A uh, solid seven hours of baseball. Yeah, you, you have to do that at least. <laughs> what at, else is at, there? At least 12 to 14 times in your life. You, yeah. you, you should accomplish that. It's 670 The Score. It's Hit and Run. It's Matt Spiegel hosting with you on a Sunday morning. My guest host is Lynn Bramer. Um, I, I, I need to talk to you about this willingness you seem to have to endure the pain uh, of of baseball. The Because what's so fascinating about it to me and will remain forever fascinating is you have to deal with the failure. You have to, if you're a player, if you're a fan, you have to deal with the losing and come back the next day. And you have, an, you have a willingness to do that, which borders on gluttony that I need to discuss with you. I, I have a serious problem. I think so. We'll talk about it next on 670 The Score. All right, dead bar throws. Here's a swing and a high five.
Welcome back in on 670 to score. It is hit and run. Bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Nothing beats playoff hockey in Chicago. Catch your Central Division champion Chicago Wolves as they battle Grand Rapids in the first round of the Calder Cup playoffs. For up-to-date playoff information or tickets, visit chicagowolves.com. Lynn Bramer, the morning man from WXRT, is my guest co-host this week on Hit and Run. Uh, are you playing Gimme Shelter? Because you already know that I have designated it as the greatest song ever written. I need you to tell me why that is the case. Because I I disagree. It's a good song. Very, very good song. Why is Gimme Shelter the greatest song ever written? Well, you have to understand, it goes back to a joke I had when I was music director every week. Uh, with the program director, we sit down, we listen to a bunch of albums, and almost every week I'd say, you got to listen to this song from the Brandos, Gettysburg. This is the greatest song ever <laughs> written. And it became a running joke. Uh-huh. And even on the air on the XRT Morning Show, periodically I'll say, coming up next, the greatest song ever written. And I, I feel like whatever song it is I'm picking, whether it's Van Morrison, Into the Mystic, or something obscure like Storyville, uh, Good Day for the Blues, then I can back it up at that moment, at, at that time. But here's the you thing: could, you could argue for that for whichever song you're, you're setting well, up. Well, it also is is a place in time. You know, music yes. is music is fluid; it changes. Uh, your mood changes where you're at uh, mentally or physically. But here's the thing: with the Rolling Stones, "Give Me Shelter." Yeah, that is the song more than any other that ended the '60s. It ended the flower power Woodstock, mm-hmm. 500,000 people get together and have a great time and nobody gets hurt right. because Gimme Shelter is the song. Gimme Shelter is the movie. The Gimme documentary Shelter, about Altamont. It documents when it all went south for the Rolling Stones at Altamont. Uh-huh. It, it, it came out in 1969 and it's also containing the greatest performance by a backup singer mary mary clayton mary clayton they called her at one o'clock in the morning and she was pregnant and she was pregnant and said we need you we need you to come in we need to do this and she left it all out on the playing field i mean she took it to the limit and the sad dark part of this story is that she had a miscarriage and some people think it's because I, I don't think medically this holds up, but some people said, well, she exerted herself so uh, so much at that recording session for hours trying to get that backup um, gimme shelter part down. That, that- whale. Yeah. Oh my so, God! So you're so that's in your head when you hear it. You're thinking, oh my God, this 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 note, this vocal performance killed a baby. This gave up a life, but it, oh. it really is a signpost, a landmark in the history of rock and roll. Because after Altamont, your feeling of, you know, everybody's together, everything's going to be great, right. kind of dissipated, started to fall apart. Why are we fighting we and what for? We don't want to fight. Uh-huh. Come on. You think it was a bad idea that they hired the Hells Angels as security? You well, think that was a problem? I think there were a few problems. You hire... Uh, <laughs> You hire the Hell's Angels as your security. Yeah. You let them take LSD, uh-huh. and somebody provides them with pool cues. 
<laughs> I mean, they the the Hell's Angels oh, punched God. out Marty Ballon in the Jefferson Airplane, knocked him out on stage. Oh yeah, I know because he was telling him to get get off the stage. You know, when Tributosaurus became a Jefferson uh, Airplane, we didn't do any of the Starship stuff. When when Tributosaurus became Jefferson Airplane, we reenacted that moment from Altamont on the stage. We did Tributosaurus Theater, and we had our our uh, our sound man dress up as a Hell's Angel, which was not difficult. And he came, <laughs> came up there and knocked out a knocked out a singer on. Uh, Oh, Jefferson Airplane. You know what, Starship, you could have done? You could have done Blows Against the Empire because that is an amazing album. Um, And it it really wasn't the Starship that people came to, the the We Built This City fake Starship. Right. Because that that wasn't really the Jefferson Starship, but that is a magnificent sci-fi classic. All right, so so I get it. So Altamont leads you to Give Me Shelter. it's Altamont, it's the year, it's the the content of the song, Mm. just... Everything about it says to me, this is not only an amazing rock and roll song, which it is, but it also carries with it a lot of weight. Have you ever found a way to connect the end of the 60s um, with the 69 Cubs and that collapse? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever found a way to to say that the innocence and the dream of, uh, of communal possibility died along with uh, the black cat that ran in front of Santo at Shea? There was a lot of stuff. As, as Mary Dixon and I like to say on the air when we're previewing 1969 in flashback, we like to say 1969, a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of stuff A lot of stuff happened. happened. 1969, what a year for the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it was all Leo DeRocher's fault, right? Uh, he just wore them to a nub. I don't. I don't believe he played. And was it Andy Pafko? He didn't play enough. Was it? Was that right? No. Uh, what? What am I thinking of? Yeah, Andy pa- Pafko. No, 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 no. What? What am I thinking of? Who? Who didn't play enough? It, it was uh, Murph would tell me. Where's Murph? Oh, he's probably on another radio station, even as we speak. So forget that. But you know, somebody, somebody didn't play. Don enough. Young. No. Jim Hickman. Uh, no. Pafko mm-hmm. is a generation or right, so right, before later. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, my bad. Um. I'll, I'll figure it out. What are you not playing? I mean, his in those days, your starting lineup was your starting lineup. It it varied very little. It was, yeah. it was. Um, DeRocher, he didn't play. He didn't play the backups enough. Was he just kept grinding the starters over and over yeah. and over and over, and the, they just the never, pitching staff was they worn never out. could recover. And of course, there was the black cat walking in front of Ron Santo. Yeah. That changes the course of history right seemed there. Be, seemed to be a rather big deal. All right, so you have a willingness as a Cub fan, Lynn, to accept and deal with the pain that is a part of baseball and a part of uh, of losing in Cubs fandom. And I have seen that extend to your fantasy baseball existence, where you, because um, we've been in a fantasy baseball league Ouch. for uh, years now. Um, Decades. That, uh, it, the Lindbergers, your team, perennially one of the worst clubs yes. in the fantasy baseball uh, the le- you, You'd have to go universe. back to the strike-shortened season of 1994 <laughs> to find the Lindberger's victorious with an asterisk. Oh, <laughs> you won the strike-shortened year. I won the, and, and then it wasn't until... Paul Popovich. Thank you. They didn't play Paul Popovich enough. That's it. I don't think that was Woo! the problem. Yeah, I think it was. No, it was not the Popovich issue. I I, I choose to, to blame that. crazy. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, you but the losing, you seem to take to the losing with remarkable aplomb, with um, an acceptance. I wouldn't say an eagerness, um, an assumption of losing. Is let that me, fair to say? Let me tell you something. Yeah. I grew up with two brothers. 
I am one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet, whether it's playing cards or these days I took up golf because I got too old for sports, whatever it is, I'm very competitive. And the idea that you think I embrace losing with eagerness <laughs> is just plain crazy. Okay. It, it, it hurts me physically losing. It, it. I take cub losses, even in seasons when they're 20 games out of first place. It affects my mood. And I'm not alone. I'm sure there are people listening mm. right now that have the same kind of sickness where – you want the team that you love to win no matter what. Mm -hmm. And whether it's real baseball or fantasy baseball, I mean, I put a smile on it, my friend, but the Lindbergers' vaunted incompetence is nothing I wanted to brag about (laughs) or embrace. All right, so maybe that's my misread, is that it's your ability to turn that into humor. And your ability to turn that pain into uh, acceptance and still make you want to put your pants on in the morning is, Listen, is what I should be noting. Well, think about this. We've done 26 opening day live broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And for 95% of that time, all the parody songs we've written, all of the tributes, the prayers, all of the elements that go into that marathon seven-hour live broadcast where people start drinking beer at 7 o'clock in the morning revolved around our ability to make fun of the team we followed and loved. Because all the lyrics in those early parody songs Mm -hmm. were not batting the Cubs on the back necessarily. No. They were uh, turning a frown upside down musically and lyrically. So how how did winning um, the World Series – for the Cubs in 2016, and the Lindberghers winning the Fantasy Baseball League last year. Coincidence? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just two years later. But how did the winning change your relationship with the game and the team? Well, I, I think the winning the World Series, for me and for a lot of Cub fans, provided us with a little bit of a cushion, a little bit of a buffer zone that we could take misadventure uh, a little bit better than we had in the past. Mm-hmm. That we had something to lean on but i don't think it's really affected the way i view winning and losing i still want them to win all the time yesterday i'm watching the game and you know what does it say that our our bar is now so low on you darvish that he gives up back-to-back jacks in the first inning and we say I look pretty good after the uh, first inning. He settled in nicely. Settled in nicely hey, for he went, three innings. He went five innings for three straight starts for his first time as a Chicago Cub. So, you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're, you're watching that, and <laughs> I, I think my to-the-point tweet yesterday was, I did not enjoy this game one bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the back-to-back homers – and then it's 3 nothing, and then Darvish out after 5. And then Greinke's pitching for the D-backs. And, it's, and then yeah. it's 6 nothing, yeah. and then and then good night, everybody. How about the Chris Bryant uh, hopefully slump-busting two wind-aided doubles in back-to-back days? Take them. Uh, take them, and I'll tell you what. The first one where the guy kind of tripped, it looked like Keystone Cops. Hmm. That was comedy. You know, the, um, the, the winning as, as a little bit of a cushion. I experienced this in conversation with two friends, two ardent Cub fan, longtime Chicago and diehard baseball fan friends. In conversation, we were talking about the ugly start just a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
they happen to be musicians, uh, but it really the point is these these hardcore Cub Cub fans, and we're talking about the ugly start, and then there one of them says, you know, I got to tell you, if one is all we get, at least I got that one. <laughs> he, he volunteered it. I'm like, really, huh? That's that feeling in there. And the other one said, yep, yep, I got it too. I got it too. Now maybe it's a product of age. Those guys, late 40s, early 50s. They'd waited a long time, but they finally got that one. We were talking in broad strokes about how, you know, Theo and Jed having, you know, failed so miraculously at the free agent class a couple of years ago. By the way, Tyler Chatwood on the mound today. Brandon Morrow, if you hadn't heard, had a setback in his rehab, and there is officially no timetable no on him. No timetable does not sound good to me. So with this possibility that the Cubs just get one title out of this window, which of course is not assured by any stretch, is that enough? And the very, very quick answer was yes. From uh, the answer is is no. You're talking to a guy here who has a calendar. Well, I don't have an office anymore. But when I had an office, I had a calendar, a desk calendar in front of me, and every October has a big uh, red magic marker through it because I don't want to make the mistake of saying, oh, yeah, no, I'll MC that or I'll host that and then find out, you know, it's game five of the World Series or it's the, the deciding game in the championship series. I can't make any mistakes. So when I plan a trip to Italy, it's after November 4th. I take no chances. And I don't really stop hoping for the home team until they are actually mathematically eliminated. Just the way I am. Sensible. Um, 670, the score is where you are. We're leading you up to the Cubs pregame at 1235. Oh, yeah. The lineup is in. Albert Amora will play center. Chris Bryant is playing left. Anthony Rizzo bats third and plays first. Javier Baez, your cleanup hitter. Uh, and at, at, at short, and Bodie's at second. Contreras batting fifth. David Bodie playing second. Zobrist in right. Tyler Chatwood in the eighth spot. Mark Zagunis nine. So no Jason Hayward here today. No Jason Hayward. Against you know, Robbie Ray, the very tough lefty for the Arizona Diamond. You want to hear a really meaningless statistic? Sure. Um, ben Zobrist, he's played three or four positions this year. His fielding percentage across the board is 1,000. It's good. He's good at stuff. He's good. He's he's solid. You know who that guy is? That guy is next year, and we'll see it maybe this year, is Descalso. Descalso has played everywhere. Descalso, during the course of a playoff series for the Cardinals, played every position in the infield at one point. And, and he can play both corner outfield spots. And he's, I, think, I think he's played center before, too, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to check. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Did you see Descalso coming? I mean, did you see this... Uh, this really hot start. Was there something in his past performance that led you to believe, okay, here's a guy that's going to flirt with 300 well, during the course of a season? He, he, he made big changes to his swing with the help of a guy who actually has now ended up on the White Sox developmental staff as a hitting instructor. So Descalso worked with this guy uh, over the course of the last couple of years and has revamped his swing, um, part of the launch angle revolution. And that's, that's why uh, the Cubs went out there and got him. And he has right. played center in his career, right, Eli? Yeah, yeah he's a guy. He, he, could, he could do a Burt Campanaris one day, Descalso, and play all nine. You know what Chicago baseball player I'm excited about? Who's that? On the Chicago White Sox, Ryan Cordell. Have you looked at this guy's numbers in the minor leagues? I, I mean, he, uh, single A, he's like a 380 batter. Uh, triple A, he's like a 340 batter. The guy can straight out rake. 
I, I did not expect to get a Ryan Cordell report from you, Lynn Bramer to this morning. You need to keep an eye on Ryan. I mean, the White Sox got a lot going for them offensively. Uh, but don't discount Ryan Cordell. You talked to Bill James about performance okay. in the minor leagues and how it translates to the major leagues. He's somebody to keep an eye on. Noted. Um, the word smithery from uh, Lynn Bramer on, on the Cubs is rivaled by his colleague at XRT. We'll uh, play you an example of why when we come back next. It's hit and run on the score, the sister station of XRT. Keep it right here. The bottom of the hour on the score was brought to you by Chicagoland Papa John's. Chicagoland Papa John's is offering free pizza this weekend. Buy one pizza at regular price. Get a second pizza of equal or less value for free. Use promo code FREEPIZZADAY on the Papa John's app or online at papajohns.com. That's promo code FREEPIZZADAY. Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run Sunday mornings on 670 The Score. My co-host is Lynn Bramer. The Morning Man from WXRT, returning the favor as Tributosaurus has been the house band for XRT's opening day broadcast for the last, I don't know, nine years, ten years, something like that. You know, there are a handful of people that I owe everything to. You're one of them. Oh, appreciate it. But, you know, the regular guy, always part of the festivities. Yes, he is. And if people have not heard the regular guy's prayer in advance of a Cubs season, they should hear this year's, especially from uh, last week's home opener. This is the regular guy on XRT. Happy opening day, everybody. How you doing? We are being tested. I would say we're being tested this year. So let's get right to it. You don't have to get down on your knees for this, by the way. There's no up and down. All right. Our Cubbies, who play at Wrigley, hello to be thy names. Hartnett and Pafco, Sutcliffe and Santo, Fergie, Sarge Matthews. And Rhino and Andre, Maddox and Rebel, and even old Ron Say. Well, Lord, here we are at Yaxies on another opening day and nine games into the season. Boy, do we need to pray. <laughs> the prophet said this would be a year with a new sense of urgency. But instead, what we're faced with is a cubby state of emergency. But there is hope. For no more do the boys need to travel in Rome. Because it's opening day on the north side of Chicago and the Cubs finally play a game at home. For ten days they've wandered the wilderness, lost in darkness in a desert of despair. Texas, Atlanta, Milwaukee, it's more than any Cub can bear. Long nights on the road have left us fans shaken in our true blue belief. Anyone would be a doubter after watching those bums who pitch in relief. But today, after the trials and tribulations and lousy defeats, the promised land is in sight. Hey, it's right across the street. Yes, Lord, you've given us what we need to get us out of this cubby gloam. It's opening day on the north side of Chicago, and the Cubs finally play a game at home. The green grass of hope and the promise of Ivy will renew our Cubby faith. Just don't let the bullpen blow another lead in the eighth. But we believe in the Cubs from the ground up to the hat on our dome. It's opening day on the north side of Chicago, and the Cubs finally play a game at home. So come on, everybody, let's pray. 
Oh, Russell, oh, Suter, oh, Jerry Morales. Oh, Jody, Mark Grace, oh, Steve Antaveros. Oh, Moreland, oh, Durham, oh, Manny Trio. Oh, Dunstan, oh, Holtzman, oh, you beautiful bum, Frank Castillo. Down on our knees to Ernie and Billy. We pray to the Smiths, Dwight, Lee, and Willie. And congratulations, Lee, for getting in the Hall of Fame. Oh, holy Harry, Mayor of Rush Street, we pray that you and Jack and Vincent Lou and Ronnie and Ernie and everybody who ever lived and actually died with the Cubs can gather at your right hand today and say those most holy and sacred words. Hey, hey, holy mackerel, it might be, it could be, this one's got a chance. Oh, no, oh, no. Cubs win, Cubs win, Cubs win. From Tinker to Evers, the chance, amen. Oh, he could slide neath the tag of the shortstop on the bag. The Baez dives, he when others zag But last night The game went ten With no help from the bullpen Would travel they'll arrive I don't know when Wake up sleepy team Oh what can it be To a That's a little taste of uh, the opening day broadcast from WXRT. I don't mind talking over that singer. He's mediocre. No, he's a good singer. The, uh, the regular guy is who you heard from XRT. His movie reviews have been a part of the broadcast uh, over there for, what, 20 years? 30, 30 years? At least, I think 30 years Crazy. at least. Uh, movie reviewer. And a very close friend of the regular guy, Marty Lennertz, is uh, uh, actually the biggest. Is he Mott's? Is he, uh, he might no, be Mott's. No, people have thought that Johnny Mars DJ at XRT was Mott's, a character, a recurring character in the uh -huh. regular guys' reviews. Uh, but uh, Marty is, in fact, the biggest Cub fan I've ever met. I, I mean, he, he has instant recall. Now, in his prayer, he mentions Frank Castillo. Yes. Frank Castillo is the closest I've ever come to seeing a no-hitter. In person. Eight and two-thirds. Eight and two-thirds. I'm in aisle 239 with uh, the season ticket holders at the time. And uh, my, my, I started to well up a little bit because I'd never seen a no-hitter. And, of course, it didn't happen. It's close. Frank Castillo. I was you, at you a, brought me to the brink. I was at the Mark Burley perfect game. Ooh. Broke, uh, down, broke me to tears, the Mark Burley perfect game. Because as, as happens with baseball, it's about that point in your life. Things have been bad for me. All of a sudden, they were looking back up for me. I had no expectations of being in the job that I was suddenly at a year prior to that. And there I was sitting like 12 rows behind the plate for a perfect game. Are you freaking kidding me? Uh, that's, and, why, that's why I love your, your open, the open today yeah. with the, the fever pitch quote about they're all, <laughs> they always play. And if it rains, you know what? They, they let you come back to another game. They make it up to you. They, who else does that in who your else life? Who else does that? I who know, else makes it up to you? 
I have to explain. I have to explain to people that uh, Jimmy Fallon in Fever Pitch, a little close to the bone. Ah, understood. Understood. He's Lynn Bramer. He's my guest co-host here on Hit and Run on six seventy The Score. We'll come back. Some news about the minor leaguers for the White Sox. Uh, a couple of guys that matter, and we will be paying attention to. Uh, some news just broke a little while ago, and the Cubs made a roster move as well. We'll explain those to you and roll on with Lynn Bramer, including the best way to wean your children into baseball fandom. If you need help, Bramer has a magic method. We'll share with you next on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.